this is the All Pro Wrestling 100 Podcast for December 14th, 2020. I'm your host, JB, and this podcast is All Pro Wrestling, and it is only pro wrestling. Tonight we've got the WWE Monday Night Raw full in-depth review and recap. We're going to kick things off with The Miz hanging out reading a poem about the upcoming TLC pay-per-view. This poem goes on way too long. It includes uh, Johnny Nitro Morrison in Scottish cosplay. None of this is a work. All of this actually happened. AJ thinks the poem ends with him winning the title, but Miz rewrites the ending and calls it a director's cut and his prerogative to change it to him cashing in money in the bank and becoming the new WWE champion. Sheamus gets upset about this and comes out, and it leads to AJ throwing a Christmas tree at Sheamus, and then, of course, they had a match, because, well, why don't you have a match if you just had a Christmas tree thrown at you? Yeah. AJ wins the match. They tell the story of AJ working the leg throughout the match, and then Sheamus tries his white noise, but he can't get up on the second rope. AJ gets a leverage pin, and post-match, Sheamus tries to talk some trash and get a hold of AJ's hair, and AJ says, man, I ain't got no soccer mom cut anymore. And he locks him up in the ropes upside down and beats him about ten times with a chair. So Drew McIntyre did not come out and save Sheamus, and that's supposed to add heat to this feud between Sheamus and Drew that's coming up. I don't know if Drew will still be champion when we get to that feud, and I don't know that there's actually any heat for that feud, but that's what they're trying to do. So for those of you, yeah, I'm not sure that everybody cares about Sheamus versus Drew McIntyre, but maybe. We'll move on to something that nobody cares about, and that's Jeff Hardy teaming with the New Day to take on the Hurt Business in a match where Jeff Hardy taps out to Bobby Lashley. Now, the whole point of this match is to push the Hurt Business towards the tag titles. Jeff Hardy's not going to be involved in that tag match, and neither is Bobby Lashley, so this does nothing for anybody, and it's another example of terrible writing for WWE. Matt Riddle's still hanging around trying to troll Jeff Hardy, trying to date Jeff Hardy. That's gross, dude. He's like twice your age. Knock that off. Uh, Lana versus Nia Jax. Here's something nobody's gonna like. You know, guys, we've been told for weeks now that the reason Lana has to go through a table every single week, I think 11 tables now is the current count, is because Lana's getting a sympathy push. See? She's getting a real push. And look, she's tagging with Asuka at the pay-per-view. And they're taking on the tag champs. And look, look over here. Look at Lana's push. Yeah, guess what happened, guys? Lana gets a victory on Monday Night Raw. And we're told afterwards, is out of the pay-per-view and will no longer be tagging with Asuka. This is crazy. Uh, Lana gets the victory on Nia Jax with another leverage pin. Almost identical to what happened here with Sheamus and AJ. Uh, Shayna Baszler comes out afterwards and tries to break Lana's arm and then tries to break Lana's leg. Asuka comes out. They're getting the better of Asuka. And for no reason whatsoever, Mandy Rose comes out with a kendo stick. Mandy Rose is back. We were told that Nia injured Mandy Rose and she couldn't be at the last pay-per-view with Dana Brooke. So now Dana Brooke and Mandy Rose might be teaming with Asuka, either one, but it won't be Lana. Because Lana is going nowhere. Because Lana's husband dared to get fired. He dared to ask to get over. He dared to sell t-shirts that said Rusev Day, right? They did everything they could to bury this guy. They saddled him with a male valet. They had his wife leave him for Bobby Lashley. They did everything they could to bury him. And now he's on Wednesday nights, and he's kicking NXT's ass, and he's not even working a good gimmick. He's hanging out as Kip Sabian's manservant, wearing a rainbow Versace sweatshirt, and it doesn't matter. Miro is a much better character than Rusev, and every time he's on TV, it's another way to point out that the WWE continues to drop the ball with people they have under contract 
and people they don't have under contract. So Lana has to pay the price because they couldn't figure out how to use an international star. So Lana, removed from the pay-per-view roster, won't be getting a shot at the tag titles, won't be getting a hold of belt anytime soon. The program with no premise continues with a completely meaningless handicap match between The Miz and Morrison versus Keith Lee. Check this out. Keith Lee challenges Miz and Morrison to a handicap match. And then he loses, which is good. And I was surprised. I actually thought that he was going to win this. You know, we should see more of this. Young guys coming up from NXT and being pushed to the moon and then biting off more than they can chew and losing to a couple of workhorse mid-card veterans that have been on main programs now for 15 years. The idea that these NXT guys get to come up and they get an automatic pop from every 12-year-old in the audience that has no social life, so they live on the WWE Network, and we say, oh, well, that right there, that's enough of a sign. This guy needs to get pushed right past the Intercontinental title in the first three weeks. Is there a way that we can get him the IC belt before we even get to the pay-per-view so that he can hurry up and start defending it and squashing everybody that's been working here for a decade or more? I mean, seriously, stand in line, Sheamus and Miz and Morrison and AJ Styles to job to Keith Lee, because Keith Lee, he's accomplished so much. That's the problem with referring to the WWE community as a universe. They really do believe that there's nothing outside of there. And so when somebody makes their way through NXT, well, of course they've been anointed. Well, for once, we got to see some mid-card veterans beat one of these NXT rising stars, which... I don't see Keith Lee as a rising star. I just don't. His look is not the look that you want to see on the front of a cereal box or on a poster in a kid's bedroom, and it's not the look you want on a poster advertising WrestleMania. That's just not going to happen. This guy's not going to cut you the promo that everybody talks about and makes them go to the bar to watch the big pay-per-view. It's just not going to happen. So Miz and Morrison on top. Bray Wyatt, he promos TLC by telling terrible jokes, terrible third-grade jokes, and I think the LCD screens were booing. I really do. I think the LCD screens, not the piped-in crowd noise that's controlled by like a team of producers in the back who sometimes can't even get along as to what they're trying to put through the, the fake crowd, but no. I think the plastic screens themselves were saying, boy, what a shit show this has been. Just what a shit, shit show this has been. Uh, Randy Orton comes on the Titan Tron, and he wants to play hide-and-seek. So finally something interesting happens, and Bray Wyatt takes off, and we don't see him for a while. So next up... Mace from Retribution. Yeah, well, you know, when you finally find something that grabs somebody's attention, you want to follow it up with Retribution. Does anybody remember that Mace was this guy Dio Madden who was a commentator? I didn't know it at first, but Dio had these dreadlocks, the well-spoken, and they had Brock Lesnar beat him up one week and he disappeared. His real name is Brennan Williams. Uh, he played football for the University of North Carolina. He was drafted by the Houston Texans. He went into pro wrestling after three teams tried him out, and he just didn't quite make the cut on either three of the NFL teams he was on. Started training, did NXT for a minute, and then was put on commentary full-time. So this is fascinating that now he's went from a semi-successful commentator on a main program to being part of a failed stable on a main program. Not his fault. If he wanted to be a pro wrestler, why not jump at this chance? But I was trying to figure out who some of these guys in masks were because I didn't recognize this guy Mace from NXT any time in the recent past, and it turns out it's because he was sitting at the commentary desk on Raw the last time anybody would seen him. So Mace beats Ricochet. Ali was on commentary during this. It was pretty cool. Afterwards, uh, Mace leaves Ricochet land, and Retribution promos Ricochet after the match, saying this doesn't end until they say it ends. I say it doesn't end until the ratings drop another couple points. Apparently the ratings on Monday Night Raw were down yet again. 
Ramblin' Rabbit and Matt Riddle, they're hanging around backstage while all this is going on. Because as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the WWE has an infestation of rabbit puppets running around backstage in Florida. That's right. There's rabbit puppets galore just running around backstage. And you, too, could run into one if you happen to be backstage at a WWE event in the pandemic-safe Thunderdome. Matt Riddle and Ramblin' Rabbit hanging out. Uh, We'll move on from that. Shayna Baszler, one half of the WWE Women's Tag Champions, goes down to Dana Brooke. Lana's already been removed from the pay-per-view, and as I said, we're trying to figure out if it's going to be Dana or Mandy to take her place. I wonder which one's going to take 11 table shots. Seriously, I wonder. But Dana Brooke gets the win. Bad week for the Women's Tag Champs, which must mean they're going to retain at the pay-per-view. Because we got terrible writing. Bray Wyatt ends up finding a creepy rocking chair in the back. And while he sits in it and reminisces about the days he used to sit in creepy rocking chairs, Randy Orton beats him up, throws him in a box, and lights the box on fire. That's right, folks. He lit the box on fire. The Fiend bursts out of the box and puts his maybe creepy sexual mandible claw on Randy yet again. Two weeks in a row, he has violated Randy's hole. He's violating the hole. Next up, Matt Riddle taking on MVP, telling MVP, I do have good ideas. I do have good ideas. It's the battle of the idea, man, and Riddle beats MVP in one minute. And I mean it, one minute. It's disrespectful. It's a mistake. MVP does a lot for this company. That's a terrible story. They've been working on this for a while, Riddle trying to sell ideas to MVP and Bobby Lashley. So they have the match last one minute. If you walked out of the room and went to the bathroom during the last commercial break, you could have missed this match. It's terrible. To finish things off tonight, we have a belt-raising ceremony. You know, I always thought it was a little strange for the defending champion when he's in a ladder match or there's some kind of crazy gimmick where the belt gets raised. It's almost like he is sacrificing his belt and he's turning the belt over for this match. And then the belt gets raised in the air and it's almost like he loses possession of the belt without ever losing the belt. And I know it's a gimmick for the match, but it always kind of bothered me. They at least made a deal out of it this time. Like, hey, we're going to take your belt, we're going to raise it above here, and you have to win it back now, which is kind of how it feels. I suppose these ladder matches and TLC matches for titles are actually kind of like a you lose your champion's advantage. And I know it's all scripted, but it is a different feel when you take the belt away from the guy and say, well, here you go, you've already won it and you've defended it, but now you got to go earn it again. And AJ points that out. AJ points out in his promo, his turn with the mic during this long segment, that he actually defended his title successfully at a TLC, so he knows what it's about. But the Drew McIntyre's running around asking for matches, He's losing his cool, he's on tilt, he's not being a good champion, he's not being a smart champion. I did like that Drew pointed out that he has carried this company through a difficult time. It's almost like he's listening to this podcast, because I've talked about it. Whether you like the Drew McIntyre era or not, he has done everything they've asked him to do and more. He's even wearing a silly skirt out there. But he's got that likable guy attitude. We don't know how likable he is. We don't know what the fans will say when they finally get in an arena. I think the fans are going to cheer everybody. I think they'll even be less John Cena sucks when he comes out the first time. People are going to be happy just to be able to exert themselves and show their influence in a crowd. So I don't think anybody's coming just to boo Drew. Good for Drew. I don't know that that means Drew's over. You know, Drew talks about he's put the company on his back, and he has. So kudos to you, Drew. AJ Styles is the person that's going to be remembered for this entire era of pro wrestling, this decade, this this generation. AJ Styles is one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time. Now, whether he's going to win this match against Drew McIntyre, I don't know. 
I don't want to say it's a smart move on Vince's part to keep the title through this whole COVID era with one guy because it can help you limit the damage and the memory of it later. I don't know how smart that is. Drew has been everything they've asked him to be. I think it's better for Drew if the belt gets shared around a little during this era so that you're not in a situation where if they just choose to never show highlights of the Thunderdome, then they're never going to show highlights of your era as champion. If you've got some other people mixed in there, Randy with the belt for more than a week, maybe AJ Styles with the belt, maybe Sheamus with the belt, if you can mix the belt around, spread the belt around for a while, then Drew might not just be the pandemic era champion. He kind of wanted to market himself as that in this promo. Eh, be careful with that, Drew. You might want to take a step back from that. Vince would love you to market yourself as the pandemic era champion, but you don't know how the pandemic era of pro wrestling is going to be remembered, so don't be the only guy to carry that banner. Ms. Morrison and Omis, the bodyguard of AJ Styles, all contribute to besting Drew in this match. Sheamus does not come out. Again, can't expect him to. They had this out in the back room a few weeks ago because Drew didn't come help Sheamus then. He didn't come help Sheamus early. And I, earlier tonight, I gotta tell you, I think Drew looks like kind of a jerk in the storyline. If Sheamus is your friend from back in the day, and you've got beef with the exact same people, and the guy you're going to be fighting on Sunday is beating up your friend from back in the day, the f- previous Monday, you take your ass out there six days early, and you go protect your friend. And I'm not sure how he justifies as a good guy babyface watching his own ass and trying to protect the title and his health previous to a title shot over the health of his friend who's getting beat up two weeks in a row. I don't think a babyface does that. I think a self-serving opportunist does that. And that's not the character Drew's been playing. It's almost as if this show is is guilty of bad writing. I don't know. It's almost as if the people that are writing the show don't have a continuity person. It's like Vince Russo came back, and it's almost like Crash Television. We're just throwing everything at the board right now and hoping something sticks and makes you tune in next week. But as for this pay-per-view, tune in tomorrow. We're going to have impact on Axis reviews. We've got two reviews of NWA Shockwave Episode 1 and 2 coming your way. A lot of good wrestling happening there in a new small studio environment. Of course, throughout the week, AEW Dynamite, special segment on Thursday, SmackDown Review on Saturday. This has been the All Pro Wrestling 100 Podcast. Subscribe where you listen.